47 says, God reigns over all the nations, for he is seated on his holy throne. For the kings of the earth belong to God, and he is greatly exalted. You reign in all the earth. You reign in all the heavens. You're holy. You're seated on the throne. Nothing can stand again.
Sing this to him. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry, these bones will sing.
I believe. Good morning, everybody. Happy Fourth of July. Happy Independence Day. How are we doing today? We doing well? Well, we're glad that you're joining us today. 
we get to celebrate our freedom and worship the one who has given us that freedom. I want to read to you out of Psalm 147. It says, great and mighty is our Lord, and his wisdom cannot be measured. So let's have you stand if you would. And great and mighty, and great and mighty is the Lord Almighty, Almighty in battle, fighting on to victory. Great and mighty is the Lord triumphant, He has overcome the enemy. So great and mighty is our God. When the battle's raging on, great and mighty, and when the night has been too long, great and mighty, oh, and if it seems there is no end, great and mighty, you just trust an eye forever, friend. Great All right, here we go, just like this right here. And great and mighty, let's hear it. Great and mighty is the Lord Almighty, Almighty in battle, fighting on to Lord triumphant, He has overcome the enemy. So great and mighty is our God. Remember when there is no way, He turns the darkness into day. Oh, and when you need our loving Savior, you just trust in Him who not waver. Come on, here we go. Great and by the blood of the Lamb and all power and dominion and the glory unto Him yes to Him yeah, yeah. oh great and mighty great and mighty is the Lord Almighty Almighty is that Almighty on to
Amen. Oh, it is good to have the whole team back. Why don't you, but Pastor Pete's got something for us. Well, good morning, church. It is so good to be with you, even though this microphone is not on. We're going to have a lip-syncing contest here this morning for you. Well, hey, welcome to Salem Heights Church. If you're a guest with us this morning, we just want to welcome you and say thank you so much for being with us. If you're joining us online, we want to say thank you for joining us there as well. We're glad that you're with us. We just want to invite you, if you are a first-time guest, from the seat back in front of you, we have our visitor card. And this is a great way to let us know that you're here. If you're new and want more information about what's going on at the church, that is a great way to let us know. You can drop that in an offering box on your way out. Uh, we also have a digital QR code where you can fill out a visitor card. And if you're online, you can send an email to firsttime at salemheightschurch.org and just let us know, hey, we'd love to know more about Salem Heights. We would love to connect with you that way. If you are new, and, and by new meaning, if you've joined our church during the pandemic, uh, which is a, an interesting time to join a church, we would love to meet you. We know there's a lot of new families who haven't had a chance to interact with some of our staff and pastors. And so on July 18th, it's a Sunday after the second service, about 1230 here at the church, we're going to be holding a lunch where you can meet some of the staff and meet some of the other new families who have joined us, maybe online at first and now in person. And so it's absolutely free. We'd love to meet you. And even on that day, if you forgot to register, you can just come. We're going to have a lot of food. It'll be great. It's going to be, we're going to pull out our Baptist roots. We're going to have all kinds of potluck stuff going on. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> And so if you want to register and let us know, that's great. On our homepage, you can scroll down to the very bottom. There's a little button that says registrations, and you can let us know if you're coming and how many are in your family. I also want to highlight that starting this Tuesday, we have our women's summer study. So hopefully, ladies, you are excited about that four weeks through the various books of uh, the Psalms. And uh, I've had a chance to preview the different lessons. It's going to be amazing. You're going to be encouraged. You're going to be taught from God's Word. It's going to be a great time to fellowship. There's no registration needed. You can come all four weeks. You can come for just one week. We know it's the summertime, but that meets up in the chapel at 6.30 on Tuesday nights, and we would love for you to come and hear from God's Word. And uh, Cause does have some activities uh, that are going to coincide with that that you might be able to take advantage of to drop your kids off who are in that middle school and high school range if that helps you at all. Well, this is a special morning. Uh, not only is it Independence Weekend and the 4th of July, but it's also a, a morning. It's the first morning where masks have not been mandated in a long time. We're excited about that. But one of the things that we are hoping to do in the coming weeks is get this place back to full operation. And what that means is we got to dust off a little bit of the, the cobwebs of volunteerism. And so we need some help. I know we got some parents in the room who have their lovely children with us, and we are so glad this is a family church, and so we're glad here, but I think you want your kids to go somewhere, and that's awesome. <laughs> and so, hey, D6 is a great area to serve. We need greeters. We got to get our parking lot team back together to start helping us park all those cars that are going to be here. It is a great opportunity for you to start thinking about how you can get back to serving. Ushers, greeters, check-in coordinators for the kids' ministry, serving uh, one service and attending another. So if you can do that, you can let us know on the visitor card or you can send an email to serve at SalemHeightsChurch.org and uh, we would love to start getting our volunteer base, our servant base, built back up. Well, this morning as we transition back into worship, we have just a short little video to kind of just remind us why we are thankful to live in a free country, but ultimately why we are thankful to be free in Christ. Let's take a look. 
we wave high the flag of freedom as a patriotic reminder to never take our independence for granted. Fireworks explode into the night sky, lighting up the darkness, reminding us of our nation's calling in the world. One nation under God. We look into the sky and remember that for all the freedom we have to celebrate, we must never forget our dependence on God. It was by His hand we were afforded our independence. So we might stand for liberty, remembering He set us free from the bondage of sin. So we might stand for justice, for the Lord loves justice, and He will not forsake His saints. So we might stand for freedom, because we know that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We thank you, God, for the beautiful gift of our country. May we always depend on you to sustain us. Well, this next song we're going to sing, I want to give you a little bit of the history about it. It's My Country Tis of Thee. Uh, it was written by a guy named Samuel Francis Smith back in 1831. And the country was really in its infancy still at that time, about 55 years old. And he uh, was a seminary student, actually, uh, when he wrote this, one of his early hymns. He went on to write more than 150 hymns. But he was reflecting on um, his country and, and how thankful he was to the Lord for allowing him to, to be here at that time. And it really, this, this song became very popular, was kind of the unofficial national anthem for about 100 years until our current national anthem was made um, uh, official in 1931, about 100 years later. And so his heart was, at the time, was to be thankful to the Lord for the gift of living in this country and the freedoms that we enjoy. And that's what we still celebrate today. We give honor to the one who is, has given us this, this freedom. And so we're going to have you stand. We're going to sing, My Country, Tis of Thee, uh, to, to, as we continue this morning. Let freedom ring 
to grace, no to grace, how great a day, daily I'm constrained to you sing it. the most substantial thing that's ever happened to us is right here. And I was lost in utter darkness till you came and rescued me. And I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free. And now my soul can sing now my heart has found a hope, and now your grace is always with me, and I'll never be alone. Isn't that good news today, amen? Yeah. Uh, and you can take your seats. Well, it's been an interesting year, hasn't it? Last year and a half has been been trying. And you know, and I, I'm reminded of David. David had some troubles of his own in his lifetime. I think more than any of us could ever really imagine happening to ourselves. And when David would be up against what would seem to be insurmountable odds, he would always look back and say, God, I don't know what to do, but I remember when you did this. I remember when you parted the seas and your people walked right on through, right? I remember when you did this. And that's a great template for us to look back, even right now. Remembering what he has done for us and the goodness that he's shown towards us that we none of us deserve, right? So this song goes like this. We will remember. We will remember. We will remember the works of your hand. And we will stop and give you praise for great it is thy faithfulness. That's right, sing that again. We will remember. We will remember. 
we will remember the works of your hands and we will stop and give you praise for greatness I faith You're our creator, our life sustainer, deliverer, our comfort, our joy. Throughout the ages, you've been our shelter, our peace in the midst of the storm. Amen, right? With signs and wonders. You've shown your power with precious blood. You showed us your grace. You've been our helper, our liberator, the giver of a life with no end. Yes, we will remember. We will remember. and give you praise for great is thy faithfulness when we walk through life's darkest valleys we will look back at all you have done this is our response right and we will shout our God is good, for He is a faithful one. Yeah, yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the one from whom all blessings flow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. you, but I can remember back to when I felt like God was calling on me and calling me to himself. I just want us to remember back to the time when God was calling out to you. And then the response of thankfulness, right, that he did because he didn't have to call out to us. So sing this in remembrance of that. And I still remember the day you saved me, the day I heard you call out my name. You said you loved me, would never leave me, and I've never been the same. Yeah, yeah, we will end. Yeah, yeah, we will end. 
Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no one under, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. We know of all the things to be thankful for. We should be thankful that our names are recorded in the book of life. Flowing wounds 
Father, we are thankful for your son, that he was obedient to you because we know that through his death, we have life. God, help us never to lose hold of that and grab tightly to that because we recognize that without your son doing what he did, we are dead already. We are so thankful that we are loved by you even though we didn't deserve it. We're so thankful that you walk beside us. You want to you give us peace in this life, which seems pretty difficult at times. God, I pray that you just help us to look back and remember all the good things that you've done for us and remember those things when 
those difficulties come called trials. We're so thankful to be able to be here today as we celebrate our country's independence. And we're so thankful for the freedoms that we enjoy that the rest of the world generally does not. Help us not take that for granted and help us to continue to keep our eyes fixed on you, knowing you're the giver of all good things and you have given us this gift. We pray now that you'd help us to hear from you, from your word. Speak to us now in Christ's precious name. Amen. Happy 4th, and for many of you, welcome back to church. <laughs> just a thought, uh, man, they did just such a beautiful job uh, this morning, but I, I want to remind you that uh, today, many of you are going to go, you're going to have barbecues and uh, uh, spend a little time reflecting uh, as a family, and I, I pray that's what you do. There's a lot of different discussions that you could have. Uh, I hope that instead of spending this afternoon worried about some negatives or worried about some secondary things, that you take a moment to just reflect on all of the benefits and blessings that we're walking in right now. Are you thankful for still being free to be here? Every single ideal that our country was founded on Anything, even if we've struggled to live up to those, those ideals came out of Christianity, and in particular, they come out of a belief in Jesus Christ. And if you struggle with that, I, I would just encourage you to, to even uh, understand that uh, atheists understand that there is no such thing as looking at other individuals as equal. There is no such thing as freedom without Christianity. That is something that uh, they are struggling to find a reason for outside of faith. Uh, focused on our faith has been the, the purpose of our summer series, the fundamentals of the faith. And we're going to be talking this morning about Jesus Christ. And I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. It seems like if we're going to have a fundamental that uh, Jesus ought to be one of them. Isn't that true? Uh, and yet for a long time in Fundamentals of the Faith, we didn't have Jesus Christ as one of the fundamentals because the assumption was if you came to church, uh, you believed that Jesus Christ was a fundamental. Or if you were born in the United States, the assumption was you had some understanding of Jesus Christ, we could fill in the blanks, but that your general understanding of who he was and what he did might be accurate. About 15 years ago, we came to understand that that is not true. In fact, many people have an understanding of Jesus Christ that is so far separated from what is stated in the scriptures that it has led them to great confusion. So we're going to focus on who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us this morning. Uh, and to start that, I, I just want you to think about something. I've used this picture, this place before to kind of highlight something in our mind, but the Taj Mahal was actually the source of a great myth a short while ago, but the myth was based a little bit in some true things that happened at that location. The myth was that they had actually built the entire Taj Mahal, and in the process of building it with perfect symmetry, you notice uh, the placement of the pillars, the placement of the windows, the centrality of the dome. If you have the reflection water in view, when you get an opportunity to, to look at it online, and, and many of you uh, fact checkers are probably already pulling it up on your phones, 
you'll actually be able to see that the goal was that throughout the day, the symmetry would remain even in the way that it was reflected in the water. They wanted perfect symmetry, but so addicted were they to, to symmetry that uh, it was stated a long time ago that, that when a builder found a box that he didn't know where it was supposed to go or what was in it, that he actually had thrown it out and inadvertently had thrown out the body of the one they were trying to memorialize. It's actually a mausoleum. It is not just a great monument. But the reason that that myth was out there is because some of the facts do bear this out. The body of the one they were desiring to memorialize didn't make it into there until uh, 10 years after they had built the place. They had built the location for the sarcophagus so ornately and so beautifully, they did not want to pull the top apart and actually sink the body into there. They thought that might ruin the structure, and so they actually built a little compartment in the basement, and the only location in all of this symmetry and perfection that is off-kilter, it's off-center, it's a little west of center, is the location of the body. They just stitched it together and then sealed it up because it wasn't perfect so nobody would get a chance to look at it. Uh, But to actually look at the diagrams, you see that that was an afterthought. The problem was that the one that they were intending to honor was treated as an afterthought. Can I submit to you that I believe that there are many people who live out their Christian lives, who spend a ton of time trying to walk faithfully, be a certain type of individual, surround yourself with certain types of individuals, have a certain type of ethic, live a certain type of way. But the very one that you are saying that you're centering your life on actually is an afterthought in your daily life. And all this other symmetry and all this other thing, these things that you would do are being lifted up and actually chased after without really thinking about the one on whom those thoughts were founded. Jesus Christ is the center of our faith. If he is not raised from the grave, our faith is in vain, Paul says. He is so central. Without Jesus Christ, there is nothing for us to celebrate this morning. Amen? So we should dive into what Scripture says about him. We need to understand this subject as cleanly as we understand any other. And and as we say every week, seminary students spend weeks on Christology, months, years delving into their Christology. In one 20-minute session, I can't plumb the depths of it, all right? So I'm inviting you to a study, a lifelong pursuit. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 through 3, 4. Let's stand and read this together. Paul in Colossians, through the Spirit of God, says this. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than on Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Jump down to verse 13. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. Think about that. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he has taken it away, 
nailing it to the cross. He's disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food or drink or in the matter of a festival or new moon or Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions and unspiritual minds. He does not hold on to the head from whom the whole body is nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons and grows with a growth that is from God. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why then do you live as if you still belonged in the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion and false humility and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Do you believe that's true? You may be seated. Father, as we uh, pay attention to this passage and the subject of Christ, I pray that you would enlighten our eyes, remind us of what it is that we believe. Give us faith, first, Father, to believe, but then to walk in a way that is in keeping with that faith. Pray that you would help us in Christ's name. Amen. I got a little bit of cottonwood in my throat here, so... I think it's appropriate if we're going to talk about Jesus Christ to start with who he is. And the scriptures declare that Jesus is God. Now we're in a church on a Sunday morning. This doesn't seem like news, right? But I think we need to settle into the fact that Jesus Christ is God and the world of agnostics, atheists, and even those that are spiritually confused are starting to wonder whether or not this is true. Where do we find any evidence that Jesus Christ is God? Let's start with the passage that we just read. It says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, right there, For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. Uh, If you go back to Colossians 1, 19, you see it phrased just a little bit differently. It says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything to himself. In one place, in 119, you see a little indentation there. The indication is that this was actually a song or a set of phrases that they would memorize. This is part of their early church doctrine. What he's doing in chapter 2 is he's unpacking that doctrine so you would understand it more deeply. But central to the doctrine of Jesus Christ is the fact that he is fully God and fully man. Everything that it means to be God is in Jesus Christ. He is God. 
If we want to understand who God is, what he would do, what he would say in a scenario, we just look to Christ. Scripture declares that Christ is God. But also, Jesus had names that he is called in the scriptures that also declare this. In uh, the regular Fundamentals of the Faith notes, you can actually get this list of names. I'm just going to read off about half of them here. Names that Christ is called in the New Testament. The Almighty, the Mighty God, the Word. He's called the Great God, our Savior Jesus. He's called uh, in Isaiah, Wonderful Counselor and the Father of Eternity. He's called the Prince of Peace. Revelation, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He's called God blessed forever. That's one phrase, but it's a name, a title. The Christ, which literally means the Messiah, the one that they were hoping for, the one that they were all through the Old Testament waiting for his arrival. He's called the Son of God by John the Baptist, his relative. Do any of your relatives think anything near to that highly of you? He's called Jehovah, beginning and the end, the Lord, the Savior, the Holy One. He's called Lord of all, Emmanuel, the way, the truth, the life. He's called King of kings and Lord of lords. In Revelation 19, there's actually this amazing moment where all of heaven is, is, is getting ready to respond to the breakout of chaos on the earth. And the armies of heaven are gathering together. And there is one that is leading them that is called faithful and true. And it actually says something shocking on there. Because you know every single time that a name of God appears in both the Old and New Testament, it appears next to a narrative. Every single time that a name of God shows up, he gives you a storyline so you can understand why that name has significance. It's revealing an aspect of his character that you can't understand unless you see him in action. God never just gives us theology. He gives us theology and the way to walk it out and to understand it. It is always practical as well as being deep. In Revelation 19 and 20, we see this one that actually arrives. And it says there in the scripture that he has a name written on his thigh that no one knows except himself. Now, it's obvious that it's Jesus Christ. But he is about to do something that we can't wrap our minds around. That we won't be able to understand until that moment in history. And that little placeholder is put in our scriptures so that we would see that Jesus isn't done yet. Amen? Amen. This isn't it. This isn't the final stage. This isn't the final moments that we have. Jesus isn't done yet. And he's going to reveal more things about his character in all eternity than we can ever understand. His names reveal it. But also his actions declare it. Seven times in the book of John, he heals and does miracles. In fact, as John walks through all those miracles, he says these things are written that you might believe, and believing you would have life in his name. He doesn't just heal and do miracles. He also forgave sin. In Matthew chapter 9, a man is let down through the roof by his friends who are convinced that the only person that can help this man who is withering away is Jesus Christ. And Jesus looks at him in front of all the Pharisees who are questioning his right to teach and questioning who he is. And he looks at this man and he says, Sir, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are pretty rankled about this. They're like, well, who can, 
forgive sins. And he says, well, what's easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven or you're healed. But so that you know that I have the power to forgive sins on earth, he tells the man, pick up your pallet, rise up, walk. And the man is completely healed and he stands up and he walks away. He forgave that man's sins. Now, in the immediate moment, that man might have rejoiced more over his healing. But the moment he closed his eyes for the very last time, he's going to rejoice in the first statement. All of your sins are forgiven. Do you know that's what Jesus still offers you today? His actions declared. He also received worship. Thomas, in John chapter 20, when he realized that Jesus had risen from the grave, falls to his knees and says, My Lord and my God... And in every other place, if somebody accidentally worships an angel, the angel says, oh, no, 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 don't worship me. That worship belongs to someone else. But Jesus Christ in that moment received that worship and said, you understand now the truth. His names declare it, his actions declare it, but also his statements declare it. Jesus actually declares as he's talking with the Pharisees and he's interacting with them about all of the things that he's been doing. He says, I and the Father are one. Scripture, his names, his actions, and his statements all declare that he is God. Now, there are three groups right now in the room that I really want to target for this second statement that we need to make after the fact that Jesus is God. You might be here, and uh, you might be here, and as a result of those last 15 to 18 months, you're actually struggling in your faith. You're looking back to all of the things that have been unpacked in your life, and you say, I believe in God, I have all these things, but I I didn't feel it carry me all the way through this last season. I didn't look back on my actions and feel like that was the best me. I don't feel like it filled me up when I was really aching. And you might begin to question whether or not this truth about Jesus makes any difference. I was uh, talking with our team about this, and I was just thinking about when you go out to dinner, sometimes you'll have a table, and it used to be that there would be tables right next to other tables, right, that you could occupy. And you can just imagine for your moment going to a restaurant and seeing two couples sitting down, and imagine now in your mind, you got good imaginations, there's one couple, and as they're seated, the, the two of them are looking around the room. And they're making statements like, oh, can you believe what that person's doing? Can you believe they wore that out tonight? Oh, that's ridiculous. (laughs) Can you believe that they're going to eat that? Can you believe that they're doing those things? Oh, no, look, they don't even look at each other. They're looking at their iPhones, right? And you're looking all around at all the different things that you could correct in the people that are around you, right? Now, there's a second couple. They sit down, and they're at the restaurant, and they don't notice anybody else. They've just spent the day together. They've had whatever time that they could to be able to spend delighting in each other's company, and they're looking into each other's eyes, and they're just like, man, I'm just so thankful that we get to have this meal. I'm so thankful to be in your presence. I love who you are. Even as you were giving me directions from the second seat of the tandem bike, I enjoyed that entire ride. (laughs) I loved it. They're looking at each other. They're enjoying each other. And let me ask you the question, which of those two couples is going to do better in the next five years? We as Christians have been looking around at everybody else and complaining, folks. 
And there's no wonder that we're struggling in the relationship with the living God who we're supposed to be focused on. We're supposed to be sinking all of our attention into him and glorying in Christ and saying, how can I be pleasing to you and how can we walk better together? But we're looking around concerned at everybody else. The question for this morning is, will you set that first couple aside and be the second in your relationship with Jesus? But the second group I'm speaking to are the agnostics. We've had some of you here that are spiritual seekers, and you've come up and spoken to me over these last weeks. You might say, hey, you know what? I believe some facts about history. I believe that Abraham Lincoln actually was a president. I believe, and this is controversial now, that we actually landed on the moon. I believe in some of these facts of history, but those facts haven't actually changed my life. What's so different about Jesus? I, I, I might even accept he actually was a person. He actually lived. He actually died. I can even accept that he rose again. What difference does that make to me? But then there's a third. That's not agnosticism, but it's outright atheism. This question has been leveled against us. Why is Christianity so exclusive? I get that you think that Jesus Christ is awesome, but why do you say that he is the only way to God? That seems offensive to me. I think the answer for all three groups is found in this next section that we're looking at. Before we can get to the heights of who he is, we need to understand the depths of who we really are without Jesus Christ. So the second point I would have you really drink in is the reason why he came. He came to save us. Man, by nature, is enslaved to sin. That means we get our wages from sin. We enjoy sin. Sin in its just most basic understanding is God says, I want you to do this. And we say, ah, I'm going to modify that just a little bit. All right. We think we know better than God. We read the scriptures and we say, well, I know he said that, but, and we begin to move off. That is our addiction too. That's our nature running to sin. We are all depraved. I want you to read Romans chapter three with me. Romans chapter 3. It's a central passage. Uh, it's indented in your uh, scriptures probably because you will understand as they were going through this, this author, Paul, is actually quoting a multitude of Old Testament passages to get this theme to rise out for you. He wants you to see that it is literally throughout the Old Testament that we are captured by sin. It says in verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. That's pretty condemning. Well, how many does that include? All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. By the way, uh, you don't have to be a super strong exegete to see that he's trying to make a point about how many people are involved here, right? Everyone. There, collectively, that's us. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their past. The path of peace they do not know. It's not just that they do everything bad, but they don't even know how to get to peace. Does that resonate with anybody? All of the world struggling to find out how they can have peace and safety and can't find the path? There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
we're depraved. Uh, that word depraved, some people struggle with it, but it literally means to be completely disfigured. So God had an intention for us, a plan for us that started back in the garden. We have disfigured the image of God. We are a disfigurement of what he intended for us to be. The only correction for that, according to Scripture, is Christ. What this does not mean, that we're totally depraved. It does not mean that we're devoid of any qualities that are pleasing to man. The depravity of man does not mean that you are unlikable. It doesn't mean that there isn't any people that are uh, beautiful or appealing outside of faith. It does not mean that every person is as bad as he or she can be. There are actually people guided by their conscience who do things that are not wretched. Do you know that? It does not mean that we are devoid of conscience. Romans 2.13 highlights this for us. There actually is a collective conscience put into us at the beginning when we are born, where we are aware of certain principles in the world that are placed there by God. It does not mean that every person will do every single evil act. All of us know the sin that we have a propensity for personally. It's not every sin, but it is one that will ruin us. It does not mean that all men are equally evil, Revelation 20:12. What does it mean? It means that every single part of us is tainted. A short while ago, I was made aware of a, a pastor on the coast who, has, who had cancer. Went in and just had a little tiny spot on his shoulder. Uh, the doctors that he was going to see saw it, and they said, well, let's just watch it and see what happens. A little tiny spot turned out to be melanoma. Six months later, goes back in. Uh, it's way too late. Uh, it has gone throughout his entire body. Uh, he had only weeks to live. Passes away from melanoma. The initial thought, well, it's just a little spot. Should you be nervous if you have just a little bit of cancer? Right? If you have cancer, you know what you have? Cancer. It's not good in any way that you look at it, all right? If you just wait till it grows later, you have a worse case of cancer. But it's not like you have a new case of cancer. A little bit means you have the problem. We take a look around at the world and we say, well, is it really that bad? I mean, I just lied or I did one thing or I'm just a little bit off. That disease, God says, is so destructive, it is your way against his way, and that would ruin eternity. It does mean also that God is our enemy. James 4.4 4 says that friendship with the world is like going back to a past love when you're currently married. He says, you want to go out to dinner with them? I already know where you are headed. Do not go that direction. He says it is spiritual adultery. You're running against me. You hate me. You'll become my enemy. And that bears out in Scripture. It does mean also, Romans 6.23, that we were facing death. There is no way to enter into eternity and be in a perfect place where God resides and carry sin with us. It also means that we were facing eternal separation from God. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9 highlights the realities of hell. Eternal separation from the living God. No relationship with him. No ability to come out of the darkness. No ability to rise above that place. And it also means being depraved, that we are helpless to fix our situation. 
Romans 5, 6, just a chapter over, says, The hope that we have in God will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Verse 6, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. We are helpless to fix it. Only Christ can help. Now there's a story that we've often shared at this point in uh, the series that's um, the, the worst story ever told for children. Uh, it's Old Yeller. I don't know. Do you remember that story? Those of you who were abused by not knowing the ending when you watched it for the very first time. I don't know where that kid ended up, but we all know where the dog ends up, right? So sad, this dog that is just a wretch and a bother and an irritation to the family becomes the lovable family pet and eventually actually saves the family's life by getting in the way, in between them and a rabid animal. But then they have to lock Old Yeller up, and day one they go out there and they see him, and no, he's fine. He's fine, let's just let him go. He's not going to be harmed by this. No, we've got to keep watching. Day two, they go back out. Old Yeller is still fine. He's, he's just bothered that you got him inside this, this pen. Let's let him out. Day three, Old Yeller can't recognize them. He's got foam coming from his mouth, and the boy is saying, no, no, he's still, he won't bite me. He won't harm me. One of the battles that we have in chasing after Christ or believing what Scripture says is not whether or not we can see sinfulness in our own lives. Do you know that? It's the fact that we have a love for other individuals and we say, truly, if this is true, that means that there is no cure for them unless they respond to Christ. Now, in Old Yeller's story, they have to put the dog down. But when God saw us through all of eternity, when he looked at every single individual, it says that God so loved the world that instead of putting us down, he gave us Christ. At just the right time, Christ died for us. Now, folks, we're uh, at the end of our time. I, I've put in notes online there all of the scriptures for you to be able to chase this down. This is central. I do want you to see the first one. Second Corinthians 521. I actually want you to see 18 through 21 there. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18, it says, everything that we have is from God who has reconciled us through, to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. That means at one time you were running the opposite direction. Reconciliation means that he has turned your face around and brought you back close to him. And he gives you this ministry of reconciliation. You were brought back face to face. He says, tell everyone else. It says that Christ was reconciling the world to himself. And get this phrase, underline it in your Bible if you have that uh, uh, ability not counting their trespasses against them. There was one significant moment where I was standing right about in this place. We are having a Lord's Supper and we were listening to a man share his testimony that he had shared a myriad of times about growing up in a home uh, where dope, drugs, drug running, all that stuff was prominent. 
where his life had been wrecked and as he is watching his mom and dad uh, be taken away, uh, his life was changed forever. Eventually comes to Christ and is somebody who is a blessing to our congregation. But as he was sharing that story, the unique thing about that night was for the very first time, his mom was sitting in the audience. I don't know if many of you remember this Lord's Supper. And at the end of that story, with tears running down her eyes, I can't imagine what it feels like to know that your kid's story has as part of its root your destruction of their life, right? What do you do with that? Well, do you know that every single one of us in here, when we make decisions that are not of God, ruin lives around us? We read this passage. Jesus Christ was reconciling us to his, uh, us himself, not counting our trespasses against him. And we looked right that, at that moment as a church. We said, hey, mom, you're among a family of people who understands. We all have been forgiven. You're in the family. She had given her life to Christ. Forgiven and set free. It says, therefore, be ambassadors for Christ. Since Christ is making this appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. When you understand that you deserved the eternal weight and punishment of God, you have an opportunity when you've been forgiven to run and tell the world you too can be forgiven. He died as our representative. First Peter 2 tells us he died as our substitute. You were supposed to be on the cross. He switched places with you. And Hebrews 9.12, he died as our redeemer. What scripture says is, this is good news. Do you agree? Amen. This is the good news. This is actually the gospel. So what is he doing now? Scripture says he is our advocate. First John uh, 2, 1 and 2 actually says that uh, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That literally means he is our lawyer. So he didn't just die for you in the past. He didn't just take your place. He didn't just do something that you could grab onto as a young child or a kid, and then all of Christ's work was done in your history. Every single day, as you begin to show that propensity to error, Jesus Christ is up there saying, no, I died for that one. I paid his price. There is no double payment. I've already paid the price for all of his sins, past, present, and future. He doesn't also have to make a payment. He's protecting believers. He's preparing a place, and he is planning a return. In uh, John chapter 14, This might not be in your notes, but this is something we walked through. It says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus is speaking here. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We were talking as a group of senior saints uh, on Tuesdays throughout this last season. 
And we were talking in particular about that statement that if I go and prepare a place, I will come again. And it's not just a promise that Christ has a soon return that he is planning, which he is. But it's the promise that when you are about to close your eyes on this world for the very last time, and you're about to open your eyes in eternity, the one who will see you from here to there that meets you in the room is Jesus. And we talked about a young man who that experience had happened very personally, his family coming to us and saying, on the moment when he was dying, his he was unable to speak, but his eyes got really big, and mom actually asked the question in the room, is Jesus here? And he nods, and she says, we'll go to him. And with great peace, he passed from here to there. Now, we rejoiced in that. As a group of senior saints, we actually just took a, a, a time, because this season has been hard in particular on that group. Since this last spring, between six to eight services that we're doing. But can I tell you the thing that has been the most profound impact to Christina and I in that group? Is watching believer after believer after believer face the end and say, I know that Jesus is going to come for me in just a moment. I have no fear. I have no regret. And I can't wait to see him. There is a peace that meets you in the moment that only comes from Christ. He's worthy of your trust. The real question that you should answer today is, what must I do to be saved? And what Scripture tells us, Acts 16.31 is the classic place you can find this. What Scripture tells us is all you have to do is believe. Will you put your faith in Jesus? This is what I want to ask you today. I'm going to pray. We're going to have an opportunity through a spoken word to reflect and through AJ to be able to respond in song. But if you do not know Jesus Christ today, the central thing before you go and celebrate, have a barbecue or do anything else is that you would get that straight. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you want to know him or you have been living far from him and you want to just pray with somebody and repent, I'm going to be up here at the end of the service. I'm going to ask uh, some of our elders, if they're around uh, with their wives, to come join me. But if you want to pray about those things, we'll be here at the end of the service for you. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us to understand the importance of Christ. Father, to be captivated with who he is, what he has done on our behalf. I pray that we would settle that today. This is the one who should not be forgotten as we do all the other things that Christians do. This is the one that should be the center and the highlight of our faith rather than an afterthought. Father, we praise you and we commit that we will give our lives fully to Jesus. Forgive us for when we fail. Father, cause us to be transformed by clinging to Christ and the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friday afternoon, and Jesus is dead. His brutalized body hanging without life 
on a cross dropped into a hole in the dirt. His executioners had dug the holes, prepared the place, and done their job with ruthless efficiency. This wasn't how it was supposed to be. The hope of mankind overcome by powers of hell, by the shadow of a grave. We once knew what it was like to rule and reign on the earth. We were made to live in the light, in relationship, in purpose. We were made for more than what we've come to accept as normal. Ever since the garden, Satan and his kingdom have been tightening their grip. Darkness has ruled evil, chaos, suffering, hopelessness. We've been enslaved and crippled by the holes the enemy has been digging for us too. Instead of killing the Messiah, the cross became a catalyst for salvation. The hole that was dug to hold an instrument of shame and death was instead filled with an instrument to bring healing and new life. That's the way God is. Nothing is impossible with him. He's always restoring, always renewing, always able to take what was meant for evil and turn it for good, to take our graves and turn them into gardens. Why? because he never gave up on his plan. He has never given up on us. He knows what we don't, that you can't have resurrection life without death, Jesus. He died so we can have lives of purpose and power over the grave. He is not dead, he is alive. And because he lives, we can live again. Search the world, but he couldn't feel me. Men's empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough. And you came along and you put me back together. Yeah. Every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, 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 there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. And nothing is better than you. I'm not afraid to show you my weakness. No, no, my failures and flaws, Lord, you've seen them all, and you still call me friend. Cause the God of the mountain is the God of the valley. Yeah, yeah. There's not a place your mercy and grace 
won't find me Have you stand? Oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Oh, sing that again. Oh, oh, there's nothing better than you. Oh, there's nothing. Oh. This is what he does. You turn morning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn praise into garden. thankful for that today, to have him as our Savior. Amen. Well, thanks for being here. We recognize that uh, there's been an invitation. If you'd like to come up and pray with someone, we'd love to pray with you. The rest of you are dismissed. Go and enjoy the festivities today. Have a good one.
Uh-huh. 